0: Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Music is so very powerful. So we think about the message of that song and others come to mind this morning. And I was just sitting there a few minutes ago and thinking about how, how I miss hearing Brother Ron's voice in behind me on Sunday mornings when the choir sings and especially whenever we sang that song a while ago uh, when we see Christ and uh, Brother Ron really gets fired up on that and that's good it's also another song that uh, every time I think about I think about Brother Ron and this song goes back a lot of years in fact I can remember when Bev and I started going together and uh, I'd never, I'd never gone to church, in fact. Uh, I'd gone, uh, I think, to a vacation Bible school somewhere, part of one week. I don't know whether I got thrown out or what, but uh, I'd never been to one of those before. But uh, anyway, Bev uh, convinced me that I ought to go to church with her and, uh, she could have convinced me of anything then and uh, I, you know I would have done it I was I was glad to even though I didn't get a lot out of it but but I I heard a song by their song leader back then was a fellow by the name of Earl Smith at High Street Baptist Church in Springfield Missouri and he was there Many, many years, and uh, they had a television program. This was back in the day where it was very unusual for a church to have a television program. And I can remember Earl singing a particular song in the service, but also repeatedly during the course of uh, of a program they had on television. And that song was entitled, In Times Like These... And that's one of the songs Brother Ron sings, and uh, it's a song that I dearly love. And, but for many years, I didn't know anything about the history of the song. To Finally, I discovered that it was actually written in 1943 by a woman named Ruth K. Jones. She was a pastor's wife in Pennsylvania, had five children, And uh, in reading the headlines of the newspaper, she began to grow weary and distressed over all of the sad news and the many casualties of those that were losing their life as the battle raged during World War II, and she was so brokenhearted that one day with tears in her eyes, she took a little pad of paper that she kept in her apron and took it out and just began to write her feelings down and the result of of that was this old song in times like these in times like these that song was actually based on a verse of scripture that she was familiar with in Second Timothy chapter three and verse number one that says that there shall be perilous times perilous dangerous and difficult times shall come and she had that in mind as she was writing the words to the song in times like these and this morning I want you to think about in times like these and today we're just going to consider chapter number one and remember this is Paul's last letter. You know, if a person ever is going to really bear their heart, it will be when they know they're, they're speaking or they're writing for the last time. This was a time of great persecution for the Christians. I, I cannot imagine him writing these words without tears in his eyes. Not, not tears of self-pity, but out of a broken heart for what he could see in the world at that time. Godly people being persecuted simply because they cared enough to preach the gospel to those that were lost. And they were hated and despised as a result of that, and under great persecution. And so in this letter, Paul is writing against the backdrop of Persecution, and he mentions it in every single chapter of this letter. Whenever we consider what's going on in the world today, we ought to listen carefully to what, what Paul said, because in many parts of the world, even at this moment, Christians are being persecuted, they're being murdered, and, and in addition to that, attacked in many other ways. I think, for one thing, the writings of men like, uh, what, what's the guy's name, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, the atheist. You know, it's so amazing whenever we see how things have changed uh, here in America and we look on the political landscape and, boy, we shake our heads in disbelief. I mean, who would have ever thought, who would have ever thought that we'd have a field of candidates like we have. Uh, I mean, my, my I just can't wrap my mind around that. Who would have ever thought that we would see what we do on television? I'm talking about the filth, and it's far beyond just being suggestive anymore. It's blatant. it's just absolutely right in your face. So we... Those of us that are older are kind of living in a state of shock. I hope you young people understand that. We we, we can't get over this. We don't understand it. I suppose there have always been those who said in their heart there is no God, but just in recent years has it been that uh, men like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and what have you write books in this regard that become best sellers in America. You know, and these, these kind of people gather a large following and influence many thousands of people and deceive them. In addition to that, there are a lot of folks that have what I call headline hysteria. I mean, we just, We just keep looking at the headlines or turn on the news and it's constantly something that's bad. And and a lot of people are living in the grip of fear every single day. We have those that are called preppers that, you know, preparing preparing for what they say is the inevitable. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. That there's going to be all-out war right here, you know, on our soil. And so they've got their guns locked and loaded, their bags packed. And I mean, uh, they got their secret hiding places out there somewhere and they're all ready to go. Why? Well, it's simply because they are frightened because of the times in which we live. In times like these. Paul was living in tough times, difficult days. People that he knew and loved were being persecuted and put to death. The question is, what do we do in times like these? How do we behave in times like these? And I think we can learn a lot from the Apostle Paul and how he dealt with this same issue way back then during those tough times. And here in chapter number one, as I was reading through this chapter this week, I noticed in my mind I see five things here that we need to do, five things that Paul did in response to the times in which he lived. Let's begin reading in verse number three. The introduction is there in the first couple of verses, but here is the first thing that I want you to notice. In times like these, we need to enjoy life rather than being exasperated by it. He says in verse three, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that Without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that that in thee also... You know, considering the circumstances that existed, it might seem amazing that the first thing Paul does is to find something for which to be thankful. He starts the letter on that note. You know, as Christians, we always have a reason to rejoice. And I we do because the bible commands us to rejoice in the lord always that means that we have a reason to rejoice and we are thrilled by our thankfulness and that's what he's talking about here that he was thankful and notice as he says in verse number 4 that that i'm filled with joy cultivating a christian Attitude of gratitude is one of the most therapeutic things that we can do. There's something about being thankful that that brings healing to a person's life. I think physically more than we even realize, but not only physically, but emotionally and in every other way, there's something therapeutic about having a thankful heart, and as Christians, we always have something to be thankful for, and therefore we have a reason to rejoice. Ungrateful people are never happy. Doesn't make any difference what they do, where they go, how much they have ungrateful people are never satisfied, they're never really happy. Oh, there is that moment when they get what they want that suddenly they're thrilled with it, but it doesn't last but a matter of days, sometimes just a matter of hours, and then it's gone. And whenever we think about the times that we live in, we need to enjoy the life that God has given us, because it's so easy for us to focus on all of the bad to the extent that we lose sight of the good. We stop being thankful for what we have, and all of a sudden we lose our joy, which is the strength that we need to survive the tough times that we're in. The joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah said. And if we ever need strength, we need strength when times are difficult. And we find that strength by appreciating and enjoying the things that God has given to us. But notice verse number 6, not only should we enjoy, but we ought to excel. Notice verse number 6, wherefore I put the in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Keep in mind that he is writing this letter to Timothy, a faithful young man who has proven himself to be true. And yet, for some reason, he says, stir up the gift of God. In other words, the flame is flickering. You need to put another log on the fire. You need to stir it up. And I think the idea here is that I want you to excel rather than just exist. Rather than just trying to get through these tough times. Rather than just trying to do enough to be faithful until the end of life. He said, I want you to excel. And when we stop and think about it, we all realize that it's during tough times that it gets difficult for us to maintain our enthusiasm. It's exciting to be around new Christians new converts it's it's just thrilling to be around them because you know they're just overflowing with joy for the first time in their life they have a deep settled peace and a happiness and a hope for the future and it's thrilling to be around them and by the way we all start off that way when we trust christ as our savior we start off with high hopes We have lofty ideals. We have a wagon load of determination and we're motivated to press on toward the goal. We're willing to accept challenges. We're willing to stretch ourselves to the limit and we're excited about life because it's adventurous. We want to serve God and we just, you know, can't wait to see what tomorrow holds. If you've never experienced a moment like that, it just might be you've never really been saved. As I talk about it, I think about it, and it's so clear as to have only happened yesterday. The changes that God made in my life the moment I received Christ as my Savior. And I was just absolutely thrilled, determined, wanting to do anything for the Lord. But then it happens. Whatever it is, it's different for different people. But we start off with that kind of high hopes and enthusiasm and excitement, and all of a sudden something happens that slows us down. We're disappointed, but, well, we... We keep going because we know that's the right thing to do. We know that's what we want to do, so we keep going. And then another it hits us. And this time, the recovery process is a bit slower than it was the first time. We're still headed in the right direction. We haven't turned our back on Christ. We're going in the right direction, but we're going at a snail's pace now. We've lost our enthusiasm, and all of a sudden, another it, whatever it is, another one hits us, and another, and another, and another, until finally, we find ourselves living in a survival mode. By that I mean we're just hanging on for dear life. We started off with the high hopes that we wanted to really make a difference in this world. We wanted to do something for God and we were willing to do anything. As long as we, as long as we knew that's what it would take to please Him. But now we're just trying to get through. And all of a sudden, instead of really excelling in our Christian life, we're just, well, we're just existing now. And based on what I read, I think maybe Timothy was in that condition. I mean, whenever Paul says, stir up the gift of God, that is, rekindle the the embers, keep the fire alive, there's a reason for that. Paul wouldn't have said anything about it had uh, had he not have lost some of his enthusiasm for the Lord. So he says, stir up the gift of God, which is in thee. Excel! Get on and get up and, and get with it. In times like these, that's what we need to do instead of just trying to exist and make it through. I've heard some sermons by preachers who were the attitude that, well, because of the times that we live in, we just really can't do much for the Lord. We we just really can't expect souls to be saved and churches to grow. We can't expect that because we're living in the last days. So what? That doesn't mean that we can't excel in our work for the Lord just because we're living in the, in the last days. I think sometimes we forget the greatest harvest of souls that this world will ever see takes place during the tribulation period. The worst of times becomes the best of times. So Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift of God. But notice, he tells him what to do, but he doesn't tell him how to do it. It would be easy for us preachers to compose an outline and you know, make up a sermon about how to stir up the gift of God. Well, to do that, you know, you've got to spend quality time on your knees in prayer. To do that, you've got to meditate in God's Word day and night. To do that, you know, and we've got this big list. But notice Paul doesn't say one word about how to do it. Just do it. And I think that was intentional. And I think the idea is, Timothy, whatever it takes, you need to stir up the gift of God. Whatever it takes. The same thing is true of us. If you've lost that enthusiasm, that excitement, if you've lost your joy, whatever it takes. Now notice in verse number 8, the third thing that Paul teaches us that we ought to do in times like these is to engage rather than escape or retreat. Notice what he says in verse number 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day." I mean, it's so clear that Paul is saying, in times like these, I am engaged in ministry. I'm not retreating. I'm not pulling back. I'm not giving up. And yet so many times, because of difficulties, we get disappointed and then we get discouraged and we allow... We allow those things to drag us down and to draw us back and to desert our duties as Christians. And if I read Paul right, he's simply saying, rather than retreat, charge. He's letting Timothy know that nothing in all of the world is more important than getting the gospel out So many times we think about in times like these, and we envision all of the changes that need to be made. We see how things have gone so wrong. We need to make things right again. So we put different people in as president, hoping they'll have the answer. We try this and we try that and everything under the sun, and yet I think we all have to confess it's not working, is it? Because just like Paul said to Timothy that it's going to get worse and worse. Not better and better. It's not going to stay the same. It's going to get worse and worse. And we can expect that. That's exactly what's going on in our life today. It's going to get worse. Regardless of how hard we try to fix it, we can't find the answer. And the reason is because we never get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem has to do with man's spiritual needs. We keep trying to change things, but we don't realize that you can't change a nation or a society until you change the people. And the only thing capable of changing people is the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they must hear the gospel. That's why we must be engaged, because we'll never do anything more important than bring someone to a saving knowledge of Christ. Now look at verse 13. We see not only that we must be engaged, but we must also endure. He says to Timothy, verse 13, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. And the Lord to give mercy unto the house of Anisiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Now notice here in these verses, he starts verse 13, hold fast, and then verse 14 he says, keep, that means guard. And he's simply saying to Timothy that God has entrusted us with the message and the ministry And we have to be on guard, that is, we have to be vigilant. And notice that he mentions two men here who had failed, two men that had fallen as examples of what might happen. As we look around this morning, every one of us can think of someone that has fallen by the wayside. Someone who at one time had been faithful to Christ. Someone who was really engaged and happily so. They were serving God and they were thrilled about it. They were faithful to God. You'd see them every time the doors are open and now they're, well, who knows? They're not here. And you see, folks, what happened to them could happen to you or me. It could happen to any of us. And that's why it's so important that in times like these that we endure, that we be on guard at all times. Why? Because Satan, your adversary, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now look at verse number sixteen and here. We see another thing that we need to do in times like these, and that is we need to encourage rather than to expect. Verse 16, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day and how many things He ministered unto me at Ephesus thou knowest very well. I I am so glad that this chapter ends on a high note. He's been talking about all of the difficulties associated with serving God. And now He comes down to the end of this chapter where He's going to sum up His thoughts And he ends on a high note. He has just spoken about two men who had fallen by the wayside, two men that had failed miserably. But now he points out the one man who had been a great encouragement. We need to remember that life isn't all bad. Perilous times will come. Life is difficult. Man, this born of woman a few days and full of trouble. But that doesn't mean they're not the good things in life. And our problem is, is we get to focusing on the bad things, the difficult things, instead of the good things. And so Paul mentions this man who had been so faithful in encouraging him. I mean, he had gone looking for Paul that he could minister to Paul. You know, if this tells us anything, it tells us that regardless of how good and strong a person is, they too need to be encouraged. I think about Paul. I think about a spiritual giant. And we often suppose that somebody like that doesn't need anyone. I mean, they can make it on their own. No, they really can't. They need encouragement like anybody else. And here was a fella. That encouraged him. His very name means help bringer. Help bringer. Aren't you glad for people that God has put in your life at different times that are help bringers? People that God has put in your life that are there as a source of encouragement to you? If we're going to survive times like these... One of the best things we can do is to be an encourager to others instead of looking to others for encouragement. It's true that others ought to encourage us, but what if they don't? And I've got to tell you, most of the time they won't. It's then that we have to do what David did, and that is David encouraged himself in the Lord. You see, when there's nobody else there to encourage you, nobody else there to help you, you need to help yourself. And with God's help you can do it. But one of the best ways that we can help ourselves is to is to help other people and that's why I keep saying what I heard many, many years ago that you're always best to yourself when you're good to others. And that's true because we reap what we sow. I can't help but think that whenever that dear lady was composing the song and she certainly had Second Timothy three one in mind but I've got to believe that she also at some time or another had read or heard her husband preach from Hebrews 6.10, which says this, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. You see, that is our assurance that whatever we do for God's people is going to be rewarded. And here we see the very example of that. This man who was a help bringer in Paul's life, Onesiphorus, he has his name in the Bible. Well, we don't have any history about him. We don't know the date of his birth. We don't know all of the details about him. But what he did was so impressive that the Spirit of God said to Paul, Put that in there. I want everybody to know about that man. Let me tell you, whatever we do to serve God by way of reaching out and ministering to others is going into the record book. And God is going to reward us on that basis. In times like these, instead of wasting your time Feeling bad because the world doesn't minister to you, minister to others. You say, yeah, but it's all one sided. You know, I, I try and yet, you know, nobody reciprocates. That, that's not the point. It's whenever we give our very best to help God's children do God's work, it's then that all of a sudden that there is a, a pure conscience on our part, but there is a sense of great relief and a wonderful reward just in knowing that we did what God wanted us to do. Now, I think it's real easy for everybody to figure out that mainly I've been speaking about Christians here this morning, the things that Christians ought to do in times like these. And let me tell you, if you're here today and you've never received Christ, the best advice I can give you is is what Mrs. Jones wrote many years ago. And she said, in times like these, you need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. In times like these, you need the Bible. Let me tell you, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, and you think about all of the tough times in life and the difficult days and how... Easy it is to get discouraged. And you hear me stand up here and say to the Christians, the best is yet to come. That's a wonderful thought. Let me tell you, for you, the worst is yet to come. You think the world's bad now? You haven't seen anything yet. Because you still have to face the wrath of God. Thank God for that wonderful assurance that Papa Joe knew the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior and and God just took him, according to the family's report, just so peaceful and the Lord took him home. It won't be that way for those that are Christ rejectors, however. In times like these, you need a Savior above all else. And by the way, you can have a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ who paid your sin debt that you could be born again. Will you trust Him this morning? I did many, many years ago, and I've never regretted it. One second, and neither will you. Let's stand together, Father. How we thank You for the clear teaching of Your Word that we can know what to expect. Not only not only the good that is to come when we get to heaven, but we even know what to expect here in this life. That's why we can live day by day not being surprised by the fact that we are oftentimes hated and despised and, and, and some folks even persecuted as a result of what they believe. But Heavenly Father, we also realize and we're so thankful for your exceeding great and precious promises that assure us that regardless of how bad it is that Your grace is sufficient. So help us, Heavenly Father, this morning to trust in Your grace to sustain us during the difficulties of life. And Heavenly Father, help us to live in such a way that those that are lost can see the difference that Jesus makes, that they too might have a desire to trust Him as their Lord, in their Savior. Help them to do that even here and now this morning But we pray in Jesus' name. As we stand together and lift our voice in song, if God speak into your heart about something, would you come?